So faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings. He, of course, I'm talking about Superman. This what was my childhood hero. I grew up uh, loving Superman, as many of you did probably if you grew up. Um, this is kind of the, the pinnacle, right? When you think of superheroes, this is perhaps who our mind goes to. I grew up with the Christopher Reeve version of Superman. He was the mild-mannered reporter. He didn't look anything like this. But, you know, when you think of Superman, this is what you think of, right? The guy who, who physically can do anything, shoot death rays out of his eyes and fly and, you know, super fast. That, that, that's who I think of. This, when, you, when I think of superheroes, I think of Superman. But what is always amazing to me about somebody who's so invulnerable and almost godlike in, in, in his stature and in his abilities, that there is one thing that has the ability to render Superman powerless. You guys know what that was? Lois Lane, a woman. No, you guys are right, of course. Kryptonite. Kryptonite had the ability to render Superman powerless, which always kind of confused me because wasn't he from Krypton? Like, how could a piece of his planet hurt? It didn't make any sense. But, but for, for the sake of the story, Kryptonite had the ability to render this, this godlike being with all these incredible powers absolutely powerless. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little this morning is, is our kryptonite. In, in week one, as we kind of kicked off this idea of, of heroes and what heroes are, we said that, that a hero is someone who sees what everyone else sees, right? A hero sees what everyone else sees, but he's not content to do what everyone else does. A hero sees the building on fire. He doesn't stay out of danger. He runs in to make sure everyone's okay. A hero sees what everyone else sees, but isn't content to leave life, leave the world, leave the situation that way. That was week one. Week two, we said that a hero saves the day, right? A, a hero is the person that, that is willing to save the day. And, and if you grew up with me with this kind of iconic idea of hero as Superman, or maybe you grew up and your iconic idea was, was Wonder Woman. If it was Aquaman, I'm sorry, you had really poor superheroes. Uh, but whoever you think your superhero was, that, that kind of makes it like hard to access, doesn't it? Like if I have to be like Superman, there's no chance. I'm not an alien. I don't have superpowers. I can't fly. I don't have x-ray vision. Like, like all that's out. If that's what it takes to be a hero, it's inaccessible for me. And what we were in, learned last week was that that was true until Jesus showed up. And we kind of walked through the story of the Good Samaritan and showed how Jesus made hero status acceptable and accessible for everyone. That everyone has the ability to be a hero for someone else. And then it kind of leads me to this thought. Well, if that's true, if a hero sees what everyone else sees, but isn't content to leave it that way, that which means that a hero is then going to step in and save the day, that here's the question that I wrestle with and perhaps a question that you wrestle with. Then why aren't we doing that? What is it that's keeping you and that's keeping me from being someone else's hero? What, what's, it, what's in us that keeps us from entering a situation and being willing to save the day? And, and really what it comes down to is our kryptonite. Right? What is our kryptonite? What is the thing that renders us powerless? That when we look at situations, the way perhaps other people look at it, and we know it shouldn't stay that way, but we refuse to act. Somebody already gave the answer away earlier. Fear. Fear is our kryptonite. Fear, is, and, and I believe it's the thing that we all wrestle with in some degree or another. Maybe we grew up being hurt and it, it caused fear in our life. Maybe it happened later in our life, but, but there's something that, that, that just kind of grips our heart. Like, oh, maybe somebody else can do this. You see, really, fear is the kryptonite that keeps us from being the heroes that we're called to be. I, I struggled with the beginning of this message to, to tell you a story that kind of uh, dictated fear in my life and when fear came about. And, and I'm going to share a story, but it, it's, it's a, a really personal story, and I think that's why I've struggled with it. it was, it's the first moment in my life when I think back of when did fear kind of grip my heart. 
I was about 10 years old. I grew up in a great family. Many of you probably heard this. We were an Italian family, a big family. I'm the second of seven siblings. Uh, my parents loved God and loved us and did a phenomenal job raising us. And I grew up with my dad as my hero, as most of you probably did. With good fathers, we, we, I loved my dad. My dad seemed invulnerable. He was big. He was strong. He could do anything. And then at 10 years old, I was told that my dad had cancer. And I remember when my mom sharing the news with me, heartbroken, and, and, you know, as one of the older sons, you want to carry that burden, try to help your mom out. And, and I, I felt completely and utterly powerless. I remember sitting on the stairs going up to our, our bedroom and just sitting there crying one day thinking, what can I do? Like, I can't do anything in this situation. And, and that put something inside my heart that I've struggled with fr from, from that moment on. Th this idea that, that I can't control the outcome. This idea that, that, that life's going to happen and I just got to go for a ride and, and, and it's going to suck sometimes and it's going to be good at other times, but oh well, that's life. And, and from that moment on, there's been something in me that, that's kind of wanted to fight against it, but at the same time has battled with that fear and battled with that fear. That, that idea that, that I'll never be good enough. That fear, that, that life, that the situation is always going to win. Fear became my kryptonite. Fear rendered me utterly powerless. Fear became the thing that kept me in a box. Fear became the thing that kept me from doing things that I knew that I wanted to do, that I thought I could do. But if I couldn't control the outcome, if I couldn't make sure at the end I won, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to try. I wasn't going to risk. Fear, like I'm sure with many of you, sticks in your heart and it sticks in your mind. And when situations come up in your life that, that you would have normally faced, that you would have walked through, there's that little thing in the back of your heart, in the back of your mind that keeps you where you are, that keeps you from moving forward because of fear. You guys know what clickbait is? Anybody here? Does anyone here know what clickbait is? I'm going to explain to you what clickbait is. Clickbait is essentially something that happens online, happens in your newsfeed or your Facebook feed that entices you to click into it, and you click into it to find out what the article says, but you never get the answer. I found one of the top rated, this is actually the top clickbait headline, according to one website. This is what the article says. This is the title of the article for clickbait. All she did was drag her plate across the pool. What happened next blew your mind. And then you got to read. you got to click in there to read, and you do, but you never find out what happened, and you end up with a juicer you never use. <clears throat> Clickbait is one of these things that, that just, it kind of draws you in, right? It, it entices you, it drags you in. What I find really interesting, although this one's funny, is that most clickbait articles are, are wrapped around some kind of fear, right? Like, like look at this sore, this bug bitter, you'll never believe what came out. And, and look what happened when she walked through the woods, you'll never believe. And you got to click it. And it's all kind of wrapped around these fears. And, and what's incredible is so many people, thousands, millions of people click in and follow because there's something in all of us. There's this fear in all of us, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the uncertain, the fear of not being able to control what's going to happen at the end. There's this, this fear. And this is what clickbait does. Clickbait draws you in based on your fear and then never gives you the answer and you're just overwhelmed with fear and you're not sure where to go with your life. That's what happens with a lot of us with fear. We kind of get, get, get drawn in a little bit in this one moment, in this one instance, and then we're overwhelmed and we have no answers. We don't know what to do. You see, we're going to look at, at, at a passage of Scripture that I love. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture that some of you are probably familiar with. Most of you have probably heard the story. Um, for some of you, the story is rather unbelievable. Um, but I, I think it is very uh, believable. And, and it's... I, I want to I dispel two things right before we get, we get into it, but it's a story that I think has the ability to show us an answer, a response to our fear. 
that would cause us to live the life that we want to live, cause us to live a life like the heroes that we want to become. Because the truth is, we all do, don't we? Not, not, not all of us, there's something in all of us that, that, that want to be better than what we are, that want to be better than normal, that want to be a kind of above average. And the world needs people like that. But there's something that keeps us back from it. Maybe for you, it, it, it's the relationship you're in. It's, it, things aren't going that, that well. And, you know, he left. And when he left or when she left, my world just fell apart and fear kind of wrapped around my heart. And, and I was just, I'm just too scared to enter into another relationship again. Maybe you heard that there's a kind of a reorganization happening at your office and you're not sure where it's going to end up for you and just going to work, getting the phone call, checking your email. There's just this anxiety that kind of wraps around your heart. There's this pit in your stomach. We've all got that phone call late at night, not sure what's going to happen. If, you have a, if you're a parent and you have kids, you understand when your kids aren't home and you get that phone call, what, what happened to my kids? What do I have to do? Fear just sets in and, and, and it controls us. And if we're not careful, it'll keep us from living the life we've wanted to live and the life that God wants us to live. So what do we do in the face of fear? We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of those, those guys who recorded the life of Jesus' events. It's the first, the first uh, book or the first letter in the New Testament, the first document that kind of transcribes the life and the events of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, he, he talks about this, this incredible story uh, of Jesus with his disciples. On, on, and a lot of times, th these interactions happen in a boat on the sea with the storm. This is one, one of those events. But before we dive into this, um, there, there's something about the story that is absolutely fantastic. And, and my concern is, really, if, if you're here, if you're not a church person, if uh, you, you know, you're not a Jesus follower, you're just here because someone invited you or bribed you with a good lunch afterwards, <clears throat> I want to dispel two of these things for you. And, and the first one is this. The story's fantastic, and you're going to hear the story and think, how in the world is that possible? And you're right to ask, because I don't know either. Like, how in the world is this possible? But what I want you to do for a moment, if you would, just, just change the question, to, to kind of take yourself out of that question and ask this question. Why? Why did that happen? Why did Jesus do what he did there? And then maybe we'll understand the how. And for, for the other one, it's this. And if you're a, a Christian, this is just going to be a simple reminder. But for, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're here maybe as a guest this morning or, or you're really not sure what you believe, you're going to feel coming into this that I have an agenda. And what you need to know is I do. I just don't want that to be one of the things that keeps you out of this message. We'll get to that agenda later on. So in, in the Gospel of Matthew, right before our story picks up with Jesus and his disciples, he's teaching, and he's teaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee. There's thousands of people. The Bible says there's over 5,000 men in attendance, which would make us kind of think that, that, that there's probably about 10,000 people in all. There's all these people there listening to Jesus, and they're hungry, and he looks to feed them, and, and nobody has any food except this little kid comes along with a Happy Meal from Long John Silver's, F five pieces of bread and two fish. Jesus prays over and begins to pass it out, and, and somehow, uh, again, I don't know how, he ends up feeding like 5,000 people with food left over. Like the disciples are, are amazed. How did this, how could he do this? Like how, how could Jesus do anything? I have no idea. But this is what they're coming off of. This experience of Jesus feeding thousands of people with almost nothing at all. And then Jesus gets his disciples and he puts them in a boat and, and he kind of pushes them off and he says, I want you guys to head over this way. I'm going to dismiss the crowds. I, you know, and then I want some alone time. So he dismisses uh, uh, the crowds. He sends his disciples off and, and the, um, sorry, I totally skipped over Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. So this, this boat here, th this is not the boat that the disciples traveled in, but it's something very much like it. It's hard to see in this picture, but off in the distance, you can see kind of hills. These are like plateaus that surround the Sea of Galilee, which create this incredible, like really perfect environment for these awful storms to just come out of, like, of, of a moment's notice. You'd be traveling across this beautiful, serene sea, 
And then in a moment's notice, this incredible storm would come, and it would just rock the boat with awesome winds and rain and waves. So this is, this is one of those moments. Jesus pushes his disciples off in a boat very much like this across this beautiful sea and says, I'll meet you over there. I need some time alone. So this is what, uh, where the text picks up. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Another translation would tell us that it was almost like the wind was torturing the boat. We know at this point, they're about three to four miles off the coast. They've been at this for about nine hours. So they've been at there for a long time, and they should be a lot further than where they are in this moment. They know that. And in this moment, the winds begin to come against it. Now, these guys, these are fishermen, right? They're kind of used to this. This isn't like an unusual thing for them to be kind of caught up in. They're used to storms. But in this moment, the storm seemed fierce than, more fierce than it's ever been. The wind seemed to rage harder than they've ever raged. The waves were bigger than they've ever... I mean, they were just these fishermen that were used to water, that were used to storms, that were used to these conditions. They were gripped by fear. <clears throat> I believe this is where fear begins to set in. I believe this is where our story kind of interacts with their story. Because I think that our fears are rooted in our inability to predict our own future. The disciples knew where they were going. They knew they were going across the Sea of Galilee. They knew where they started. They even knew who sent them out to do it. Jesus said, go, you go this way and I'll meet you over there. They knew where they came from. They knew where they were supposed to go and they're stuck in the middle. And I think that's where fear begins to set in. This this idea is rooted in the inability to predict our own future. I know where I'm headed. I know I'm supposed to go that way. But but from here to there, there's a lot of uncertainty. And the storms come up in here. And maybe you felt this way. You're in the middle of something, the middle of pursuing the dream. You're in the middle of a relationship, the the middle of, of a career change. And it's like the storm sets in and you're stuck. What do I do now? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to say? Who's gonna help? The disciples very much feel like that. Stuck in the middle of a sea. Storm raging. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Now imagine being one of the disciples. You've just witnessed Jesus do this incredible thing, feed thousands of people with almost no food at all. Jesus sends you out and says, I want you to go to the other side and I'll meet you. You think, okay, this is the guy who just did these incredible things. Sure, we're going to get over there. And in the middle of, of following what Jesus did, the storm comes up. Shortly before dawn, the text says, and it's always darkest before the dawn, isn't it? It, it always seems to be the worst right before it, it seems to get any better. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. And this is where it gets unreal. Walking on the lake. Now, this is where we're tempted to ask ourselves, how? How did Jesus walk on the lake? Is he like, like David Blaine? You know, there's plexiglass and it's a smooth surface and he's just kind of coast. No, this is, this is a sea. This is a lake. I have no idea how. What's amazing to me, though, is, is this isn't like calm, serene water. This is stormy water. So when we get this idea of Jesus walking on the water, it wasn't like that picture we showed before of the serene lake. These are waves. It's almost like Jesus is running up mountains and running down. I, I don't know how. I, I don't get it. But for a moment, take yourself out of that question. And instead of asking, how did this happen? Really, what, I, I, what I'm kind of more concerned about is why. Well, why did Jesus do this? Jesus could have done anything right? He, he, he just fed 5,000 people with two, fi- like two fish and five pieces of bread. He could have spoke to the winds and waves. He could have told them to stop. He could have calmed everything down. I mean, it's Jesus. If he's, if he's really who he is, couldn't he have just like transported them to the other side? Like beam me up, Jesus. Could, I mean, really, why in this moment did he decide in the middle of a storm to send his disciples out and then walk across the lake to meet them? It's amazing to me. When the disciples saw him on the lake, of course, they were surprised. I mean, wouldn't you be seeing a man walking on the lake? But that wasn't the only emotion they felt. Not only were they surprised, they were terrified. 
And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, this is the only evidence I can find in the scripture that ghosts are real. Because Jesus didn't say, no, there's no such thing as ghosts. He says, I'm not a ghost. Right? They said, it's a ghost. And these, these fishermen who are used to these conditions are gripped by fear. Seeing a man they kind of recognize walk on water, of course, this is a very un- unrealistic thing, a very unusual thing for a fisherman to see. A ghost walking on water. They're completely overwhelmed. They're completely struck by fear. As I would imagine, you would be and I would be. Who can walk on water? Who can do such a thing? What's interesting is, is this isn't the first time the disciples have found themselves in a situation like this. They, just a few chapters earlier, Matthew records another instance where the disciples are in a boat on a sea and a storm hits and Jesus is with them. And Jesus stands up in the middle of the storm and tells everything to get quiet and everything gets quiet. The wind stops, the rain stops, the, the water settles down. The, this is their experience. This is the Jesus they know. This is the guy that they traveled with. And now in the midst of all of this, they see Jesus coming. And instead of saying, all right, we're good. They are gripped by fear and terrified. See, because their fears were rooted in their inability to predict their future. But what I find really interesting is in the middle of these situations where things kind of, kind of seem worse than they've ever been, when, when, when the wind really starts howling and the rain really starts pouring and the storm seems worse than it's ever been, our fears are accelerated by our inability to predict our future. And what seemed bad now seems eternally worse. What seemed like a little storm now seems like we're floating in the middle of a hurricane. Jesus walking towards them. These men think it's a ghost. Their fears are accelerated. How will they ever survive? And the story goes on. But Jesus immediately says to them, and I I love this. Jesus in this moment, he could have said anything. He could have done anything, but in this moment, Jesus hears their fear. It's a ghost, and he says to them this. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. He could have said anything in that moment. He could have said, come on, guys. Like, like toughen up. What, what are you, guys, it's me. It's like, get over it. Be a man. Don't be scared. Instead, he looks at these men, these, these friends, these disciples, He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my courage. I'm offering it to you. Here's some courage. Take it. And then he reminds them, guys, it's me. I'm the same guy who just fed the 5,000. I'm the same guy who a few weeks ago stood up and spoke to the winds and the waves and they obeyed. It's me, guys. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. There's this moment in the story, and I suspect you felt it before too, when you're watching a movie and, and, and this, this unlikely character begins to step up to become the hero. You know what I mean? He's like the underdog of the story, and, and, and it's, it's just these overwhelming odds, and, and you just want to begin to cheer because it's like, finally, someone's going to do the right thing. This story, something very similar happens. Our hero begins to step up. It's almost like he, 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 something rallies around him. Yes, there's fear. Yes, the waves are big, and the winds are strong, and the rains are coming. Yes, it seems insurmountable. But there's Jesus. And our hero stands up and he gets to the edge of the boat and it's almost like he puts his his foot on the bow of the boat and he calls out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if it is you, this is Peter, our hero, one of the 12, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. There's something inside Peter and I don't know what it is. I don't know if Peter had the hero gene and there was just this this thing in him like, like, you know, I've just got to be the hero. I perhaps think it's more like this. I don't want to be like everybody else. 
I, I, I want to be something more than, than what everybody thinks of me. I'm not satisfied with the ordinary. Anybody can be ordinary, but I want to be extraordinary. I don't even want to be like the other disciples who are sitting at the back of the boat in fear. Jesus, I, I, I believe it's you. I remember it's you. I remember the things you've done. You're my friend. You're my, my master, my savior. I remember all the things you've done. If it really is you, if it is who you say you are, then call me out on the water. And he puts Jesus to the test. And I love Jesus' response. It's so simple. Jesus just looks at him and says, come. Come on, Peter. Come on. Come on out, Peter. Meet me. There's something in you, Peter, that isn't like everybody else. There's something in you that wants more than what everybody else in that boat wants. Come and meet me. And Peter does the unthinkable. He climbs out of the boat and he goes to meet Jesus. It's amazing. In that moment, fear gripping his heart, Peter has a question to answer. And it's a question I think we have to answer as well. Would you allow fear, the fear of stepping out, to lead you to miss out? Would you allow your fears to cause you not to step out and therefore miss out on whatever your future has? Peter had, a, had that question to answer. A am I going to allow my fear to cause me to step out on, or, or to keep me from stepping out on this water and meeting Jesus? Because here's kind of what I believe about Jesus, that he, he is extraordinary. And if he's calling me out on the water, then something extraordinary is going to happen. I'm going to experience something that nobody else is going to experience. As a matter of fact, they're going to read about this for thousands of years later. It, 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 I have to answer this question. Will I take Jesus for who he is and what he said? Will I trust him and step out in this uncertain water with the storms raging? Am I going to trust him? Or am I going to allow my fears to keep me sitting on the boat and never experience what Jesus wants me to experience? Jesus, Peter like a hero, stood up. It says Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on water and came toward Jesus. Now again, much like you, I read this and my first thought is, how? It's impossible. Nobody's ever walked on water. But let's be honest, Jesus did a lot of impossible things. I don't know the how. The bigger question here is why? Peter climbs out of the boat trusting Jesus, with his eyes on Jesus, with the eyes on the one that he trusts, looking at him and begins to walk on water. And then something happens. Something that I think happens to us in the middle of us beginning to trust Jesus, in the middle of us stepping out in faith, stepping out in, in that kind of trust. The text says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, I, I don't think he really saw the wind. Maybe he felt the wind. He got out on the water like, whoa, this is a lot stronger than I thought. Maybe the, 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 the winds picked up and the rains picked up. Maybe a wave as he's walking on the water crashed over him. And he's like, this is worse than I thought. But whatever happened, my kind of thought is he's looking at Jesus walking towards him. And he sees a wave in the periphery of his vision. And he turns to look at the wave. And when he sees the wave, fear grips his heart. Whatever it was, it caused him to look away from the thing that he trusts. Away from the thing that he believes is there to help him and to save him and to bring him something extraordinary. He looks at the waves, he looks at the wind, he looks at the rain, and he was afraid. And in that moment, he begins to sink. The text says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And sinking in the water in the middle of this, this sea, in the middle of this lake with, the, with storms raging, Peter does what any of us would do. He cries out to Jesus. He cries out and says, Lord, save me. Now, now in this moment, Peter had three options, right? P Peter could have just said, I'm going to hold my breath. Not a great option. Like, it's a long way away. It's in the middle of a storm. Peter could have turned back to the boat and said, hey, guys, throw me a lifeline. 
But instead, Peter looks forward. He brings his eyes back on the thing, on the one that he trusts. And he says, Lord, I came out here for you. Save me. And with all empathy of the situation, understanding exactly what Peter is going through, Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. Save yourself, Peter. This was your idea. And with that, we're going to close in prayer. Come on, you guys know the story. Of course, it's not what Jesus says. Jesus sees Peter sinking. And I I love what what the, the text says here. Immediately, immediately, I imagine they're not far apart. Immediately, the text says, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And as Peter's kind of being like drugged down into the water, Jesus grabs him by his arm and picks him up. And and I imagine when Jesus utters these next words, they're kind of face to face. Jesus is leaning over and he's holding Peter, still kind of hanging in the water and still kind of out. I have no idea how that works, but it's the story. And he looks at him eye to eye and he utters these words. You have little faith. Why did you doubt and, and I, when he says this, I think we, we, we hear this sometimes and we think this is, this is chastisement. This is correction. This is Peter, you should have done better. But remember, he's the only one outside the boat. The other 11 are still in the boat, leaning against the back, scared to death. I don't think this was, this was correction. I don't think this was anger. I don't think this was Peter, you should do better. I think Jesus was looking at him with all empathy and sympathy saying, Peter, you almost had it. You were so close You trusted me. You stepped out of the boat in the middle of your fear and you trusted me. Why did you look away? Don't let your fears distract you. Don't let your fears keep you from reaching what I have for you because I have all this potential and I have have all of this waiting for you. And you were so close, Peter. Don't doubt next time. You see, for, for many of us, I think we find ourselves in situations like this. If you, if you find yourself walking on water, you need to let me know, because that's amazing. But I think we find ourselves in situations where we've taken a step of faith, trying to trust what we think is the right thing to do. And the moment we do, it's like our fears rise to the surface greater than they ever have. The situation seems worse than it's ever been. And then we're caught. We're in the middle. It's too late to go back, but I can't find my way forward. What do I do? Maybe much like the disciples, you find yourself just sitting, cowering in fear, having no idea what to do. But there is so much we can take from Peter. You see, I, I imagine that if this happened today, th- this would be the, the, the kind of thing we read about, right? This would, be, this would be the clickbait. Man sees a ghost and walks on water. Click here to find out what happened next. Let's be honest. We would all click. We'd all want to know what happens next. But, but if this happened today, interviewers would come, reporters would come, and they'd be interviewing Peter. Peter, this is amazing. You saw Jesus on the water and, and in the middle of this storm, and you decided to step out. That, Peter, that's incredible. Tell, tell us the story. Peter said, well, the sea was angry that day, my friends. The storms were worse than I've ever seen. The winds were, were more powerful than I've ever seen. We were all afraid. Peter, I, I, I agree, but, but what did you do? Like, why did you get out of the boat? Well, I got out of the boat because Jesus told me to take courage. Jesus didn't say man up. He didn't say be brave. He he said, I offer you courage. Take it. Take your courage from me. And then Jesus said, it is I. And guys, I got to tell you, I've traveled with Jesus. I've seen the things he's done. He just fed 5,000 people with a happy meal. Like, I know who Jesus is. I know the power he has. I know what he can do. And I know that what awaited me out there was extraordinary. So I trusted him. And I did what he asked me to do. I took courage. And I trusted Jesus. 
And that's the second thing we have to learn, to trust Jesus. And then lastly, I, I think he said, I, I think I'd tell everybody that if you're on the edge of a dream, if you're on the edge of a decision, if you're on the edge of a phone call, if you're on the edge of repairing a relationship, don't let the, your fear of stepping out lead you to missing out. What's on the other side of your fear, what's on the other side of my fear is something extraordinary that Jesus is offering to us. But you've got to get over the fear. You've got to get out of the boat. You've got to trust. You've got to take courage. And as reporters do, I think the reporters would, 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 would kind of sit back and say, well, okay, hey, wait, 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 wait a second, Peter. You took your eyes off and you began to sink. Tell us about that. And I think Peter would say, I did. And the truth is, I'll probably do it again when my fear rises up. But here's what I know. And this is the bottom line. This is the thing that I don't want you to miss this morning. <clears throat> Peter would say this. Who you trust is greater than what you fear. Who you trust is greater than anything you fear. There, there was a, a moment where I fell victim to clickbait just a, a few years ago. I don't know if I was just really up, up late and tired. I don't know if, if it was, uh, I watched too many zombie movies or an apocalypse movies and that kind of idea just stuck with my heart about the end of the world and we're all gonna die. But, but one night I, I remember clicking on an article and it was about the end of the world. It was from a Christian, a, a Christian company and they were talking about the end of the world Now Kim Jong-un was gonna be the guy who ushered in the end of America and we would be living in the Stone Ages. And, and I'm reading this and, and, and I'm telling you, it's like a little kid reading a, a horror story. Fear gripped my heart in such a way, it's like I began to have a panic attack. What am I going to do? How am I going to protect my family? What am I going to do with my kids? How, like, like how is the world going to survive? And I, I don't know why in that moment that stupid article gripped my heart, but it gripped my heart with fear. I don't think I slept a wink that night. The next morning I got up and I emailed my dad because like a little boy whose hero is his dad, I asked him everything. My dad was in Africa on a missions trip and I sent him an email and the email was more like a book, described everything that happened. And at the end of it, I said, what do I do? How do you live uh, like a fear-free kind of life in the midst of, of, of these overwhelming circumstances that I can do nothing about? I can't make them not nuke America. I've, I, what am I supposed to do? My dad responds, and I can imagine him doing it almost with a smile on his face, like there's no such thing as living a fear-free life. We all have fear. What, what we have to remember is who we trust is greater than any fear that we have, Jim. Trusting in Jesus <coughs> is greater than giving in to your fear. There's always going to be fear. But if you learn to trust him, you can overcome it. And I took him at his word, and I never feared again. And that's a total lie. And if you bought that, you're easily deceived. Of course I fear. This isn't like a silver bullet. This isn't like, hey, if you apply this, you never fear again. No, there's always fear. But anytime fear kind of creeps up in my life, I remind myself who I'm trusting because who I'm trusting is greater than any fear I have. And the idea of being held in the boat and missing out on my life and not living and, and, and you know, keeping my family in, in, in you know, one of those nuclear safe bunkers and never leaving because I'm so scared of what the world may offer is not a solution to the problem. It keeps me from reaching all of the things that I want in my life and that they want in their life. So you have a choice. Will you stay in the boat? Will you allow fear to keep you and keep you from missing out on all the things, on the extraordinary things that await you? Or will you trust him? Will you step out in the midst of the unknown? In the midst of what might seem like a storm in your life? I don't know where this message is going to leave you this morning. To be honest, I don't know really where it leaves me. 
Because so much of this is just unexplainable. How did they? I have no idea how. But I think the bigger question is here, why? Why in this moment did Jesus decide to walk on the water instead of just calming the waves and getting his disciples to the other side? And I think it's to teach all of us that, guys, when life happens, storms are going to come. Fears are going to rise. But you have a choice. You can stay in the boat and you can be scared and you can miss out on all that God has for you. Or you can trust. And he did it to remind us that the person we can trust is greater than any fear we have. I'm going to ask the music team to come out. This morning we're going to close with a song. It's a song we've sung here many times, but it's a song that I can't get out of my head. Anytime I, I, I think about a message like this, anytime I think of this idea of fear, and there's, there's a line in the song, it's really the title of the song, it says, we are no longer slaves to fear. Just think of that word for a moment, that you are a slave to fear. We don't often think about it that way because, I mean, it's natural. We all are scared of something. We all have fears. That's why there's a horror movie market, because we're all scared of something. But how often do we think that it's those fears that keep us captive, that those fears are like our masters, that keep us from doing the things we want to do, that keep us from experiencing the freedom and the life and the extraordinary that we could because we're a slave to that fear. That fear keeps us in the boat and it keeps us scared and it keeps us from ever taking a step out. But this morning, as they sing the song, I want you to ask, I want you to think to yourself, am I going to allow my fear to control me? Or am I going to be like Peter? Am I going to be like the one? Am I going to trust? Am I going to be the hero who goes out and saves the day and doesn't allow fear to keep me? What's your answer going to be? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would and sing this song with us. Let me pray before we make our way out. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you God, for this incredible story. And while, God, I'm sure many of us are asking, God, how? How did this happen? I, I pray that you would turn our hearts to, to the greater question, God, and that's why. And I, I pray that no matter what it is we're struggling with, God, maybe we're on the, the precipice of a big decision, God, something that could change our lives or a relationship. Maybe it's taking a job or leaving our old job to start our, our own company, God, whatever it might be. Wherever we find ourselves, but there's this fear that has gripped our hearts and is, is just keeping us from taking that step. I pray this morning, God, would be that push, would be that encouragement to not let fear hold them back and keep them, God, from missing out on what you have for them. I pray that you would give us the wisdom and that you would give us the courage, God, to take the step out of the boat when we should, to trust you, God, and to remember that who we trust is so much greater than what we fear. And as we do, God, I pray that we would begin to see what, what's always awaited us, God, the life that you have, the extraordinary God, the, the, the thing that is so much different than what we ever thought. I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Be with us, God. Give us a great week and bring us back next week for part four of Heroes. In Jesus' name, amen.